Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Dentists Who Invest podcast, where we have returning face Shabar Kassam. Shabar recently fell into my field of vision once more when he appeared on the Maven Money podcast with Andy Hart, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And I was rather surprised to be browsing through the podcast one day and then hear your voice, Shabar, out of the blue, because it had been quite a while since we've spoken to each other. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, mate. Very well. Nice to nice to be back here uh, and, and in front of your uh, wonderful face and uh, pattern shirt, man. That's the that that's the thing. I feel like I'm I'm being a typical financial advisor. I've turned up in a blue polo. My man's wearing I don't know, you know. <laughs> it has beers on it. It's happy oh, hour over here. That's why I'm so giddy. They, oh, mate. Well, absolutely <laughs> great to be back, and uh, yeah, looking forward to this episode. Absolutely, mate. Always a pleasure. And, you know, can I just say something interesting? You know, when people talk about content and constantly creating content and putting the effort in, because effectively it's these little hooks and these little things that put you back in someone's perspective, right? And like Shabar, I enjoyed our podcast so much. We hadn't caught up in such a long time. And then that popped into my vision and I thought, oh, yeah, heck yeah, I haven't spoke to Shabar in ages. I need to get back in touch with him. And that's the magic of making content right there for anybody's business. It just puts you back in someone's perspective, rekindles rekindles their thought process on you as a person or as an individual and what you do. And that's how these conversations can be picked up again or business opportunities can arise from them. The magic of content, the three C's of success on the internet, content, content, content. There you go. You heard it from the content specialist himself. I, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. But when I get invited, my, my, my actual philosophy is if someone asks me to do something and I'm sort of slightly, I don't know, that means I should do it. Right. So if, if there's something that I'm thinking I shouldn't put this out or I don't want to attend this event or I don't want to speak here, I'm like, that's, that's a sign that I need to do it. That's my philosophy now. I love that. Which, which might mean I take on more than I can chew at the moment, but I think that's a good thing to then actually wind it back and say no. Yeah, yeah. for the time being, I'm sort of adopting that mentality. I love that. Well, the thing about it is if you have that natural knee-jerk reaction to something, then generally, well, where that can sometimes come from is fear, you know, on a personal level. And that's the thing that holds us back. It's a limiting belief. So it's a nice rule of thumb to bust through that. And that, that fear can take many forms. Maybe it's going to be the fear of being in front of an audience, or maybe it's going to be the fear of dealing with overwhelm and dealing with too many things. That's where the personal growth occurs. And I, I actually really like that. And I do a lot of that myself. Going back to what you were saying about taking on too much, here's a really interesting thing that I went through personally, and I never really appreciated this until I saw it from the other side. If you put a lot on your plate and you have to deal with it constantly, 
within reason, of course, not like a hundred million things that you're never going to be able to do. But actually, if there's no give, if there's no relent on that side of things, the only way that you can adapt is to actually become better at handling all of this stuff and thinking faster. And that is 100%. If you would have said that to me before I started doing all this stuff, I would have said, what is that mumbo jumbo? What the heck does that even mean? But it is totally a thing. You become a stronger, tougher, more resilient person if there's no give on that side. And if you keep pushing yourself in that direction, obviously there has to be an upper limit on it somewhere. We can't go too crazy, but it's just another perspective. It's interesting. Yeah, I guess it is. It's increasing your capacity. You don't really know what your capacity is until you've been stretched, right? So I I guess it's, uh, we were just talking about this, it's that whole balance between, you know, you've got to care about yourself enough to not put yourself in a situation where you're then burnt out because then you're no use to anyone. So I guess it's, you know, being being smart enough to to know where where the boundary lines are. This is it. This is it. And where's the line? And here's the thing, not everyone's going to agree with what I've just said, but being someone who went through that personally, all I will say is that I'm so much more of a more resilient, strong person because that happened to me. And I, I do think that whilst you maybe don't have to be to that extreme, there is something to be said for that. There's a place for that in everyone's life to a degree because of the person that it makes you into. Anyway, we digress because we're supposed to be talking about finance today, aren't we, Shabar? So we should probably do that at some point. And you know what? You and I had a little bit of a discussion beforehand about what this podcast episode might entail. And we were going to do something really philosophical along the lines of the the concepts of wealth and how to break them down and analyze them from the point of view of two sages of course, which are in this very podcast booth. But we decided at the very last minute that we might put a little bit of a twist on it and just offer, if we could have a conversation with ourselves when we were younger, what are the five coolest things, the five most enlightening things that we could say to a younger version of each of our respective self that would propel them so much further and faster along the financial journey, their financial journey, which is a lot of fun and very interesting, of course. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? If you could turn back the, the hands of time and, and do something different and, and give yourself some advice, that's probably going to save you or earn you, you know, thousands of pounds and, and, and you know, just make your make your journey to wherever you're going a lot smoother. Then it's, it's nice. But sometimes you've got to just learn for yourself, right, as well. So I think this is a bit, you know, whilst it's all very well and good with, with hindsight and saying, yeah, what would you tell your younger self? Actually, you know what? You need to go through a lot of stuff. As, as well so sometimes it's probably better that you you didn't know things because you learn it you know learn the hard way maybe well, yeah listen totally and human beings really we really do only learn the hard way the best lessons you can ever learn are the lessons that you hurt, learn from your own perspective because you're never going to take someone's advice until you actually to the same degree until you experience it that yourself and it actually comes back it ties in a little bit to what we were talking about earlier which is pushing yourself outside your comfort zone Feel hard and feel fast. That's how you learn the most. Most people yeah. try to avoid those scenarios. Second you're, thing I'm going to say on that. You're nicking one of my, my lessons now. Oh, no way. I'm taking the words right out of your mouth. Should I kick us off? Should I kick us off with it? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So I, I, I've actually put down, so like number five for me is become comfortable with failure, which is something that I really wish I had uh being told or you know even sort of uh 
just educated around that it's okay to fail. I grew up in a, in a, in a very perfectionist household where it was like, it was very, very strict. It was almost like you can't make mistakes. And that was detrimental to my business journey um, and really kind of like restricted me early on because I just didn't want to put anything out. I didn't want to, I wouldn't come on here. I wouldn't just, you know, the old shadow would have not have just, you know, come on to a podcast and then you change the sort of the subject and say, right, should we do this? And I'd have been like, no, this reason oh, it's got to be better. like now it's like, actually, you know what, who cares? Honestly, what's the work? You know, no, you're not going to look back at this in, in a week or a month and say that was a bloody disaster. And that's, you know, ruined, ruined my life. So it's actually, do you know, be comfortable, be comfortable with failure and, and learn how to fail. And um, Stephen Bartlett, who I, who I really respect a lot and I've got a lot of time for him. He was just like, he goes perfect the art of quitting, which is you've got to know that there are certain situations and we're always told don't quit, don't quit, stick it out. And he's like, it's an actually, it's a great skill to know when to quit because the earlier you quit and move on to something else and he, and, and it's about differentiating between are you quitting because it's hard or are you quitting because you just realize that there's no potential in what you're doing and that's that's a real skill and an art which sort of ties into the be comfortable with failing walking away and starting again that there's no problem with that as long as you've learned Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes That Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistinvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. I love that. And you're actually right there because me, I have this huge propensity to just keep blindly plugging away at something even though I'm not always necessarily getting results and that served me like 95% of the time in my life but in retrospect there's been 5% of the time where that didn't really serve me so it's all well and good pontificating like yeah never give up give your all work your hardest never quit you never lose unless you give up and all of this stuff but actually there is that 5% of the time and it's making that call just like what you said a second ago I'm just going to say one quick thing to supplement what you've just said before we move on to the first of my five points. I have a friend, she's a headmaster in a school. In her school, she wants to normalize kids failing at anything, at whatever it is that's outside their comfort zone, because nobody can be good at anything, right? Or nobody can be, sorry, nobody can be good at everything is what I meant to say there. So what they do at their assembly, whatever it is, every week or every month or something like that, they make all the kids stand up on the stage and each one of them takes it in turn to say one thing that they failed at in the pre- in the previous month. And you know what happens next? Everybody applauds them like this, right? To normalize failure and to say, listen, well done for putting yourself out there. You tried something, it didn't work out, or you're improving. And that's fine. That's okay. That's a good thing. And Gary Vee has something really interesting on this as well. He talks about 
so many people in life, they want to create a side gig, create a side hustle or do something that puts themselves out there on the internet. Yeah. And he says the main reason that holds people back is failure. Because if you think about it, failure is failure is the fear that others are going to point and laugh at us. So if effectively it's actually rejection, it's social rejection at a really fundamental level. Yeah. And he says, you know, when you're 19 and you look back on that, right, that point in time where you failed in your business, really what's your perspective going to be, right? Is it going to be, oh, wow, I tried this thing. It didn't work out. And therefore, it's kind of a funny story and I laugh at it now. Or it's going to be, look, I created the next Microsoft or the, the next flipping whatever. Yeah. The next Tesla, the next any big company. Yeah. And really, those are the two possible outcomes, and both are fine, right? And your perspective from how it feels in the moment will be totally different further down the line. You'll be more upset that you didn't do it, in my opinion. Anyway, just to supplement what you were saying just then, those two things popped into my head. I'm going to go on to my first lesson of the five lessons that I would tell a younger version of myself. And the very, very, very first lesson for success in investing and more philosophically life, because some of these things tie in to our broader perspective on life as well, not just investing, as we say, and that is patience, have patience. Because we live in an era where we're, everybody thinks you have to be a gunslinger. And if you don't get success tomorrow, then it's not good enough. Or if you don't do something today and the success came yesterday, that's quite literally some people's mindset because patience is in flipping shortage these days and it definitely used to be when I was younger that in itself that in itself is a massive lesson one of the biggest virtues one of the biggest skills that you can have is the ability to keep plugging away at something because you believe in it because you know that the results are going to come by and large when you build your wealth and you grow it it's a brick by brick process it doesn't happen quickly like that all of the the media out there about things like crypto and nfts or have, making us all think that we can get rich tomorrow. In reality, that's only true for like 0.0001% of people. For most people, it's a building process and it takes a long time. And the only way you're ever going to get there is if you have patience. I wish I could have told myself that when I was younger. Yeah, that's that, that's a great lesson. And just tying into the investing thing, you know, the whole idea of compounding, which, and, and this goes for anything, even if you look at, you know, compounding, it's you know, and the example of if you if you doubled a penny every day for thirty days, or gave someone a million quid to start off with, it's only around sort of day 25, 26 that the penny double doubling every day actually overtakes the million quid, right? So it's like you know what, like it's it's such a great example just from a case of how compounding works, and even like you speak to any of like the real big content creators, like you look at their sort of. Uh, their curve of growth and it's almost like flat for so long for so long and it's like you know and then it shoots off eventually at some particular point in time but that's just because you know they were patient and 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 they you know slogged it out for like two three years producing a podcast or a youtube channel that no one listened to and then you know compounding effects just kicks in at one particular point and then it shoots off and it's like yeah, they could have quit at any time during that period and and not had anything. So yeah, patience is a is a huge asset and a muscle it needs to be you know practiced. A, a muscle, I love that. And you know what? Some something powerful that somebody else said to me about compounding was actually most things do compound 
most things, it's actually hard to find things that don't compound. Okay. So because you know that most things compound, whether that be knowledge, whether that be a following, whether that be money, whether that be relationships, now that you view things through that lens, you know that 90% of the results come towards the end of the relationship or towards the end of that time frame. then you know that that gives you the extra wind in your sails to put the effort in. Most things compound as opposed to only some things. And when you have that framework, you'll understand the importance of putting effort into all of these things in life because the real fruits come further down the line. Shabar, what is your second lesson to your younger son? Okay, so second lesson for me is, um, a, a, again, one that I didn't grasp until I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is one of, one of my favorite books. Um, and you've you got a copy there. Right here, right here. You know what, right? I actually, I'm self-confessed, I have not yet read this book. And it's got to the point where so many people have asked me, James, have you read this book? And I feel, I actually feel a little embarrassed to say no at this point. Then I'm making myself read it because I've read so many books on finance, but just not this one. Anyway, sorry to jump in. Probably picked up most of, most of the lessons, but there's a, there's a couple on my, on my list. Um, but it was really understanding um, the difference between getting rewarded for your time as opposed to getting rewarded for the value that you're delivering. And if you're only going to get rewarded for your time, you're playing a finite game because obviously, unless you're in a a super, super well-paid job, you're, you're always going to be trading your time for money. Whereas if you move to more of the value-based model where you're getting remunerated based on the value or the impact that you're having, then essentially the sky's the, sky's the limit. And, you know, that was a real eye-opener for me. That, and, and that's fine because, you know what, you could be doing a great profession and getting paid for the number of hours that you turn up. And, you know, at the end of the day, if someone was going to pay me a million pounds to dig a hole, you know, for an hour, I'm going to dig the hole for an hour of my time. Don't, don't get me wrong. But in general, that concept of trading time for money and breaking that was, was really quite eye-opening for me. Something that a lot of people are wittingly or unwittingly indoctrinated into thinking. And for me, I was exactly the same. And I used to look at people who are life coaches and think, how can he charge, he or she charge £100,000 for three months of their work or a million pounds or for three months of their tutelage. And that used to just stun me. But when you see it, when you understand the value that they give people and how it's life-changing and how people can make that money back quite literally in that three months with the right mentorship, it's crazy. And that was earth-shattering for me. So I'm fully on board with that one. My number two is if I could speak to myself when I was younger, I would say, James, learn what money is and learn how it works because the second you understand how money works is the second that you understand that actually it's really easy to grow your wealth over long periods of time not always because the asset is going up in value but actually partly because money is going down in value and it's constantly being printed and created and that just flipped everything on its head for me because then I understood things from the right perspective. And that is the fundamental first concept that everybody should learn who wants to invest their money and build their wealth. Absolutely. You know what, you know, money, yeah, it's a fascinating topic, but people, people associate money with currency. That's the most sort of common. 
And it's not money. Money is purchasing power. It, it literally, it's just a tool for, for, for purchasing. And, and at the end of the day, if that, whatever you're using, whether it's gold coins, you know, you know, bottle caps or, 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 or seashells, whatever it is, if that doesn't allow you to have the same level of lifestyle, then, you know, then you've got a problem, haven't you? So that really understanding that is crucial. Huge lesson, huge lesson. Absolutely. Number three from yourself, Shabber. Um, okay, so again, coming from, from rich dad, poor dad, um, is understanding the difference between assets and liabilities. And this is something that I've tried to just tell my kids that, do you know what? You've got things that are either going to put money in your pocket or you've got things that are going to take money out of your pocket, you know, assets and liabilities. Okay. And, 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 and creating wealth is all about increasing the asset column and uh, making sure that you don't have unproductive liabilities. So obviously, you know, a liability which is allowing you to grow your assets, um, you know, is, is good debt. Um, but you don't want, obviously, to pay for shiny things that impress people that you don't even like you know which is what a lot of people you know are going around doing is is spending money that they don't have on things that they don't need to impress people that don't like them and they don't particularly like and and so i wish i'd started my asset journey a lot earlier because that was a game changer for me it was just like right that's what i need to be doing like that should be the focus, build, you know, building the building assets um, um, as opposed to taking on liabilities. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And the golden rule is to never borrow money to buy something that is a liability because that is never actually going to generate you that wealth back and you're going to wind up paying hand over, uh, well, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, what, is the, what is the expression? Uh, hand over fist, hand over fist, I believe. Uh, to get that back but yeah if you are going to do it figure out how you can get some good debt and invest in some assets but of course that is a whole other kettle of fish that we're not going to get into today my number three and this moves a little bit beyond finance be kind seriously it's massive it makes its way back to you in dividends how's that for an investment every single person every single time you are not kind to someone it literally costs you money. Here's why. That is a potential opportunity to work with someone, for someone to help you, for someone to say something positive about you when you're not present in that room and they're around with someone else that would potentially cost you your business opportunity or anything else in life. Seriously. And the more times that you're kind to people, the more it compounds as well. It's absolutely massive. Kindness and empathy are a superpower. The people who do the best in business, 100% in my experience, are the people that have the best EQ. Business is just people. People buy from people. If you've got an amazing EQ and you can make people, you have the ability to bond and click and gel with anybody and you've got an insane level of empathy, you're a businessman or a businesswoman because that is one of the most fundamental superpowers to that world and also as well as that to tie it back into investing that's how you're going to allow yourself to create more wealth because one of the things that's literally going to put wealth in your hands straight away the soonest is the world of business it's not going to be the world of investing that's where you build your wealth that's where you put your money and it compounds over many years as we've just said before seriously it is huge mm, no I absolutely agree with that that's uh, and you know what do they say it's, it doesn't cost doesn't cost anything to be kind and it's free free yeah so 
yeah um being kind to others is um is very underrated and and, and i think if there was more of it i think the world would just be a better place here's the thing i think everybody there's a misconception that everybody thinks that to get ahead in life you have to have sharp elbows okay and you're it's actually more about pushing people out of the way and pushing them underneath you so that you can excel and succeed maybe once upon a time to a degree but in the era of the internet where everyone has a voice and it can very quickly disseminate that you're not someone that reputable it's really not a smart way to be it literally costs you money and opportunities the more kind the kindness the kinder you are the more people that like you is the more potential avenues to have business opportunities and the more cool things and nice opportunities and brilliant stuff come your way yeah and and you know what you know science has proven and there, there's loads of studies that even even the you know the hormones that get released in the body when you're kind and when you, you know you're, you're experiencing life with more joy and happiness by doing things for others it it's it's, it's just a better state to be in all around so actually it's good it's good for you physically and, and for your bank balance as well i'm pretty I sure I think there's something out there, and don't quote me on this, there's some evidence to say that when you have a huge amount of oxytocin in your brain, you can think faster, you're literally more intelligent. Maybe. Don't don't quote me on that, I'm not a scientist, but there is research out there that's along those lines, maybe something to look into. Number four, let's freestyle. Let's let I'll tell you what, I'll do the number four and then I'll bounce back on to you. Let's mix it up a little bit, just for a little bit of fun. My fourth one is remove the pre-existing paradigm that you have for retirement and here is why everybody thinks that when you get to retirement inverted commas that you just stop working and you sail off into the sunset and you're happy forever and that's how conventional financial planning is there's a start point and there's an end point where you just draw from your assets right now if we think about that for two seconds 90% 90% of the time, that's not even true. Because how many people do you know have hit 67, the state retirement age, and then they've suddenly just decided to down tools and never work a day again in their life, right? I actually don't think you need something to sustain yourself mentally and to keep you going, okay? And my, yeah. my posit is why wait to be happy when that's not even necessarily true anyway, when you get there, because actually you're waiting to the point where you don't have to, you have to stop working and then you can supposedly be happy, but chances are you're gonna continue doing a little bit of work anyway. And that's why we need to shift our perspective. Here's another way of looking at retirement, okay? Retirement is the point where you stop exchanging present unhappiness for a future promise of happiness. What do okay. I mean by that? Okay, what do I mean by that? Here we go. So most people don't like their jobs, but most people believe if they continue to work at their jobs, eventually they'll save enough money via their pension, via their investments, that they no longer have to work. But we know that most people continue to do a little bit of work anyway, because they want something to do, right? Mm-hmm. So think about it like this, right? If that's our definition of retirement, mm-hmm then actually there's three ways that you can potentially have that freedom. The first one, because here's the thing, why would you do something you hate unless you felt like you had to, right? And I, I, in order to get that money to be free, right? So if I give you a billion pounds tomorrow, you're never going to spend that anyway, right? 
So you're actually retired at that point, right? Because you no longer need to work, right? So therefore, you're supposedly going to be happy from that point forwards. The sec, but that's not realistic, right? That's my whole point that realistically that's not going to happen. The second way is if you become a hermit, you reduce your outgoings to nothing. You live off the land. You figure out a way to do that. You don't spend any money. Therefore, you can supposedly be happy. Therefore, you can be happy in the moment and you don't have to wait. Or the third way, which is when you love what you do so much that you're not unhappy in the moment. You're actually happy, right? And then what it means is you're not exchanging present unhappiness for that future promise of happiness, right? Which, by the way, may or may not ever come because we know that people continue to work anyway when they hit that flipping age. So how the heck does that make sense? Plus, as well as that, there's too many eventualities that could occur between now and then for that ever to be the case. It might be, I know someone who worked his whole life, 70 hours a week, never saw his kids, never saw his family, retired at 60. Two weeks later, he got lung cancer. And the two weeks after that, he wasn't alive anymore. Insane, right? No one really knows what's going to happen. That's why I feel like it needs to be more, we have to take ownership over happiness, okay? There needs to be more of a conscious effort in the here and now to try to be happy rather than rather than def- deferring this happiness to a point in future where we supposedly will be because we're stopped working, we've stopped working, but in reality, we're gonna continue anyway. So how does that make any sense whatsoever? Are you with me? Definitely. I mean, it is, it's a mindset mind, mindset shift, right? As In, in terms of, you know, re- retirement, I think definitely needs to be rethought. I don't think there is the sort of the, the traditional retirement any, any, anymore. I think there's, I think there's a, there's a point of financial freedom mm. that reaches, which is where work becomes optional. Yes. But like you said, you know, um, and I try and use that sort of financial freedom or making work optional as a, as a landmark, like when could you achieve that particular point in time? But for a lot of people, you see, you think, you know, the average, you know, person might live to the age of 90. Well, you retire at 60, you've still got a third of your life. Now, that's, you know, it's unquestionable to think that you're going to sit around on a beach for, for, for that period. You've got to have something to sustain you. And, and there's studies that most people that give up work and don't have any interests or passion deteriorate at a rapid rate compared to individuals that are still working are involved in some sort of community it could be charity it could be anything that they've got a passion or a hobby that serves them when they leave the workplace because that that, that's a massive part of someone's life so i definitely think that this idea of pinning or happiness at a point in the future when you no longer work is is almost like a fool's errand you know because it's 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 never going to come it's a terrible idea. And when you get there, there is no pro- there is no guarantee whatsoever that that's even what you want, as proven by the fact that most people continue to, to work and do things anyway. And I'll use my two parents in that anecdotally. Both of them retired, retired in inverted commas, but they still do three days a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you live... Now, now they've got the option to carry on if they want to, right? Which is a nice place to be. And I think most people find that actually, when it becomes optional, it becomes more enjoyable, you know. And um, uh, just to sort of come in, like 
Ali Abdel, who's the YouTuber, you know, he talks about this a lot in terms of, you know, when he when he spoke to other medical professionals and they said, well, you know, do you, you know, do you want to be a doctor and carry on working the ridiculous hours? And they're like, oh, you know, I'd love to quit it tomorrow. Um, but actually, if you said, well, you know, if I gave you, you know, if you had a million pounds, would you, would you quit? But a lot of them said that they would continue doing it on a, on a part-time basis, they'd still want to make an impact, right? And mm. I think there's a need to still want to make an impact, um, to be involved in community, etc. And the workplace provides that um, for a lot of people. So yeah, it's uh, it's, it's it's interesting um, to sort of reframe retirement. Totally, it made me see things from a different light, and it made me realize that that was a bit of an illusion. However, most people are still gearing everything they do towards that. But if we unpick that for two seconds, it actually doesn't make sense. But anyway, I've said my bit on retirement. Number four yeah. for yourself. So for me, it's uh, being grateful. So it's sort of following on from your, from your kindness one, but there's something about if you're constantly looking at keeping up with the Joneses and looking up, you know, comparison is the killer of joy. You know, if you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, as soon as you flip that and you actually start being thankful for the things that you've got, it makes a complete difference to your outlook, to the way you feel, to your interactions with other people. And actually, I think you attract more as you start to be more thankful for what you've got. Um, and so for me, it's like, actually, compare yourself to people that are worse off than you rather than compare yourself to people that are better off than you. I think, A, it's, it's much better for your, for your mental health than for your soul. Um, and, and actually, you know, when you start to look at people around you and and you actually realize well actually you know we're the blessed ones i mean living in the U, living in the western world i mean you kind of hit the lottery you know jackpot by just being born here you know because you could be somewhere else which isn't very nice um so you know just the fact that we don't have you know bombs going off around us you know that's something huge that you like when you think about it, it's just like yeah actually i get to sit here and have a conversation with you and i'm not worried about getting home you know so you know, big, big blessings. I think, yeah, being grateful is just uh, really important for me now as well. So I definitely tell my younger self. Yeah, no, honestly, it's massive. And, and, and for me, that's another way that you can choose happiness in the moment rather than a supposed promise of happiness further down the line. Because actually, if you just stop for two seconds and look around you, there's so many things that are here in the moment that can make you feel positive, yeah? But it's just being aware of them. And one of those vehicles to do that is gratitude. I fully believe happiness in most scenarios, and I can't say this all of the time, but in most scenarios is actually a choice and down to perception. Think about it, if someone had nothing, like literally nothing, lived on the street for 20 years and then found themselves sat where you or I am, they'd be grateful for the rest of their lives, right? But because we, this is what we're used to, then that same level of gratitude, we can only ever fathom, right? Because this has been the normal for day zero for us. And it comes back totally to your analogy of people who are less fortunate in other parts of the world, 100%. And, and just to add, add on to that, so they've done, they've done a study, and again, I can't quote it, but they, they look at people that experience a, a, a real boost or injection of, of income or inheritance or, or something that takes their lifestyle to another level. And we always think, well, you know, it's just going to be so much better and then I'll be happy or that, will, you know, that's, that's the place I want to be. That's the house. That, but they say that actually that 
human beings become we become so accustomed with the with the new norm so quickly that we forget about where we came from and actually that new level is where we base our our comparisons from and and then we're looking at the next rung up and and it's and it's so it's so futile to think that actually you know a big check could land on my doorstep it could change my life forever but six months or a year down the line the chances are i'm kind of going to be you know neutral about it because I've, I've moved to that next rung and then that I become accustomed to that life. And where's the joy in that? Like that, that, that's a scary thought. So being grateful, I think is the antidote to that. Awesome. Isn't that, isn't the term for that hedonic adaptation? I think that when you, you yeah, 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 yeah. It could, it could well be. Something like that. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. Cause I think that's more the, the pursuit of wanting more, more, more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and but then yeah, and they're not being satisfied with it when you get there. So I guess yeah, some is definitely a, a form of that. Top stuff. You know what, Shabar? Let's not let anybody know our next move. Let's keep people guessing. Let's have you do your number five, and then I'll do my number five just to mix it up again. All right. So, so mine. So, bit, so being a financial professional, mine had to be to do with money, and it's pay yourself first, which I think is like the one thing that I wish I'd been taught like early on which is you are the most important thing and that's not from an egotistical but it's just like you know for you to be of use to other people um and to your future self which is really important you've got to look after your future self then you need to pay yourself first which means that you know what you put money away for your future, whether that's in any type of investment, something that's going to grow um, and something that you're not going to end up just spending it and, and, and sort of pissing away, so to speak. So pay, paying yourself first, and it just sends out a great message that you're actually important because you're looking after your future by, by putting money away for you and, and not anyone else. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's one of my, my most important philosophies to, to live by. You know what? I'm going to read between the lines and I, I suspect there is some sort of deeply personal experience in there somewhere, Shavar, which maybe we'll save for a podcast in another day. But it's one of those things you really do only learn something like that, something like that the hard way until you're putting everybody else first except yourself until the chips are down and the cards, everybody shows their cards and then there's nothing really there that is... Uh, you know, in the piggy bank to, uh, well, bail you out or that serves serves as something to show for all your hard work. So totally, totally, totally relate to you on that one. And there'll be people out there who are listening to this podcast who can absolutely see a previous version of themselves in there. And also people who I hope don't make the same mistake. Powerful lesson. I'm going to round things off with my number five. And that is financial success is 80% behavior and 20% knowledge, not the other way around, because you can feel so accomplished and as if you're a massive financial expert and that you have a shoe in to be rich for the rest of your life because you've read all the books. But the problem is if you don't actually action it, if you don't behave yourself whenever it comes to spending, there has to be an upper limit in there somewhere, no matter how much you earn. That's where the behavioral side comes in. And that's why that is actually the biggest factor that determines you, that determines you to be successful 
when it comes to your finances your fu- in the future. And one brilliant story on that is the story of Ronald Reed, who is someone who is, he was, a, have you heard, have you heard of Ronald Reed? Have you heard this analogy before? No, go for it. It's a really long story. So I'll give you the summary of it today and I'll implore anybody who is listening to look up the story of Ronald Reed. He is a janitor that was born in America in the 1940s. Guy never earned more than the equivalent of 20,000 pounds a year, his whole career. When he died, because he was so consistent at saving, they did, no one had any idea this guy had a huge amount of wealth, okay? He wore these same, the same pair of dungarees for like 30 years, you know? He used to patch it up, stitch it back together any old way that he could. Red and black lumberjack, all of those things, yeah? When he died, someone was reading his will, they thought that he'd gone a bit delusional in his old age because he said that he had 8 million in his estate and that he, yeah. he used to go to the library every day and read books and he donated like 2 million to the library and 1 million to each of his stepkids. Yeah. And they were like, he's lost the plot. But then when they checked his accounts, the guy had like 8 million because he'd consistently saved over a huge period of time. And anybody who's earning more than that level of wealth, which will be lots of people listening to that podcast. What's your excuse? You can do it. If that guy can do it, anybody can. And I feel like in part, it comes from having some sort of upper limit on how much cash we splash, not always trying to impress the Smiths and the Jones, being able to tuck away a little bit and do it consistently, i.e. your behavior. And I love that story. Ronald Reed, feel free to check out the full story in your own time. You'll be able to find it on YouTube. Shabar, thank you for your pearls of wisdom today. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. It's been, uh, it's been enjoyable. And um, yeah, that, 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 that story, I think I, I did read it and it was in uh, The Psychology of Money. Morgan House. Oh yeah. 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 You got it. Around around behavior and this and this obsession with tinkering and, and, and doing stuff with our portfolios and our investments and not being patient. This is a true Fidelity in the US did a study on their most uh, profitable clients, i.e., the ones that had amassed the most wealth in their accounts. And so when they were doing this study, they wanted to find the secret behind who were the best clients from um, a wealth creation point of view so when they started ringing round they found that the majority or the top the top people that had accounts with fidelity were actually dead people and because and it because they hadn't tinkered with their account for so long that it obviously it just compounded and no one had done anything about them. And these, these accounts were worth, you know, however, however much money because they belonged to people that had passed away. And, and that just shows that, you know, when you're not actively tinkering, the, the second, the second uh, most wealthy account holders were, were, when they phoned them were people that forgot that they had an account with Fidelity. <laughs> Amazing. Just emphasizing that whole point about behavior, discipline and patience. Is really your biggest your biggest asset when, when when playing this game. Spot on. And I actually feel the media are partly to blame for this misconception that investing is this frantic thing where you're dipping in and out of the market. You're buying this, you're selling this. Uranium's got, got up in price. So you're taking profit or you're jumping in and you're doubling down and you're doing all of these crazy wacky things because in this fr- frantic, frenetic way, it's really not like that. And that's why numero uno on my list 
was of course patience shabar thank you so much once more for your time my friend feel free to reach out to shabar on the group everyone shabar kasam you'll be able to find him by searching the members he is a more than competent fa ifa i believe shabar is that correct correct yeah lumos financial that's my baby top stuff top stuff so you know where to find shabar in the group shabar as i say thank you so much for your time today we will catch up super soon take care james If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.